Good morning. My name's Adam. For those of you who don't know, one of the pastors here at the church. For those of you who do know, uh, it's because you're probably here week in and week out. Thanks for uh, coming back this morning. Um, I am excited to jump into this series. And I just, as we get into the series, I'm going to pray here in a minute, but um, I want to start with this. Uh, we come from various places in life. And some of you are here this morning, you are really stoked because you watched Penn State pull that game out. Matter of fact, I mean, so I, I was one of them. Uh, so a little tired this morning. I stayed up there. I had to still practice my message that was done. Others of you come into this room, maybe not so excited. Maybe there's pain, heartache. Uh, our family, uh, we lost a guinea pig. I, I, I thought I'd share this with you because you know the guinea pig I had here a few weeks ago on stage? He is now buried in our backyard. So... Little girls crying this week. But again, it was a reminder, though, of the heartache of, of life and of the, um, you know, it's, it's a guinea pig, yet it's, it's, a, it's something God created. It's something our little girls were connected with. So again, wherever you're at this morning, whether you're here celebrating this morning or you're here with a lot of grief and heartache in your heart, I really pray that God uh, meets with you. Um, before I go to prayer, I want to mention we're in this series, The Road to Recovery, uh, because it's running in conjunction with our launch of Celebrate Recovery. That launched this past week. Thursday night was our first night. We had 45 people show up for that first evening. So that is a huge success. Uh, so I just want to say a big thank you. Those of you who know here that were there serving, rolled your sleeves up, jumped in. Uh, some of you were behind the scenes praying, really uh, behind this. Uh, so again, thank you uh, so much. Really excited about that. But we're going to continue in this series. I'm going to pray for us. going to jump into this, just kind of walking through what it means to recover, uh, because we all have that thing, that our guilty pleasure, if you will, the thing that we can't control in our life. And a lot of times what stands behind is a hurt, uh, a hurt of some kind and things that we've got to recover from. So would you join us as I pray? We're on page 23 as I pray. I want to mention that, page 23 of the Known Journal. If you don't have one, grab one. There's not a lot left. Uh, that's the reading plan that runs in conjunction with this series uh, that'll take you a little deeper uh, this week as you connect with God on your own. Let me pray for us, and then we will uh, jump into this uh, message this morning. God, I just I stand here before you. Uh, I stand here before you representing a room full of people. And God, I lift up to you those in this room that are hurting and struggling and aching, uh, maybe battles with illness and sickness and cancer. There's some here in this room that are struggling through that. Um, God, so I pray for them. I pray for their families. I pray for those uh, around them. Uh, God, I pray for those who have had loss, uh, whether it's a pet, uh, as it's been in our family, or a loss of a child, which we've had here recently at Bethany. Um, God, I, I lift them up to you in prayer. Uh, God, I, uh, we come with heavy hearts. Others are in this room this morning, God. There's some in this room that are, that are stoked, excited, loving life, and God, I, I know you'll speak to them as well. And God, maybe there's some here that are indifferent, uh, maybe even somewhat checked out, disconnected. Uh, maybe here this morning just because they have to be or they feel an obligation or uh, maybe they're here just a bit skeptical, searching, reaching, uh, trying to figure things out, but they're not really sure they want to jump all in. God, I really pray that you would meet us in a very special way. God, guide and direct me. I know the prayer that I pray each, each morning as I stand backstage where I come out here is... Um, God, I pray that you'd use me in my foolishness and my, my brokenness. Um, God, and not with eloquent, fancy words, but standing in the power of your spirit. Um, so God, would you guide and direct me as we um, step into your word and consider what it is that you have to say about this process of recovery, of stepping towards you to heal our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. God, thanks so much for Celebrate Recovery. God, thanks for the great week we had this week. 
45 people showing up. God, and I pray, continue to pray for our volunteers uh, that have stepped up and are walking um, and going to step into that, leading groups and helping prepare meals and leading worship and sound and all that goes into that, that evening. And God, then the prayer support of it, God, just thanks for this church. Thanks for Petra. Thanks for Weaverland, Crossnet. God, as we've linked arms and said, man, we hear so much in the news about brokenness, drug addictions, um, and God, the things that we just hang us up. God, we're stepping in to say, you know what? We're going to make a difference in our community. And uh, God, so thanks for that. Continue to bless that ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty, last week uh, I introduced you, uh, maybe for the first time, some of you to a character named Matthew. Others of you have been around the church a while. It was, it was maybe a review for you. But Jesus uh, introduced himself to a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. Uh, we just kind of quick review because it's going to lead into where we're going this morning. Matthew, in his own words, as he describes, he throws a party after he meets Jesus, and he throws a party for other disreputable sinners. Another word that we might use is notorious. He was, he was a messed up guy, uh, and he knew it. Uh, the community around him had kind of pushed him to the outside, so there's really not a seat for you here in our church. Uh, you're not quite cleaned up enough, Matthew. You're doing some things that we would disagree with. You're representing a foreign occupied land, and you're not really all in and committed uh, to the God that we worship. Uh, so Matthew really internalizes this message, I think, in a way, as most of us do. If you've ever been, and we talked about it last week, if you've ever been on the outside looking in, we do. We begin to internalize. The shame piece sets in on us, and we feel dirty, we feel broken, we feel not quite good enough, and we aren't always in connection with that. Sometimes we're, we're doing things to kind of push that aside and not think about it, but in those quiet, still moments, it creeps up, and we, we begin to process, and we just feel broken. Now, that's where Matthew was. Matthew, the, the opinion of the leaders of the church, if you will, the, the, the Pharisees, the leaders of the temple worship in that Jewish culture, um, looked at him as though, and this is the word that the text uses, he was scum. So there's very a judgmental attitude flowing towards him. Now, as Matthew is in that position, Jesus Christ shows up. And we talked about last week, Jesus Christ came to make God fully accessible to us. He came to reveal to us God. And so he shows up to Matthew in that position of feeling broken, outcast, dirty, and he doesn't say to him, this is what he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, Matthew, clean up. Matthew, get it together. Matthew, come on, get together. Matthew, what's wrong with you? He shows up and simply says this, follow me and be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. I love this message. I love it. What this really says to Matthew is what we talked about last week. Matthew, you matter. Matthew, I'm not walking by. I, I see you, Matthew. I get you. Matthew, I believe in you. I believe this is what, because picture this. You're an outcast. You know that you're not clean. You know you're not worthy. You've got shame and guilt all heaped in on you, and you kind of get it. You mean, I've, I'm broken. And along comes this Jesus, this religious leader who, who, who's kind of by this point, man, he's kind of making a name for himself, and he looks at this guy, and he says, follow me. I believe in you. I think that's what it really says. And it says, Matthew, there's life to be had. Matthew, there's recovery. Now, this message of follow me is offered to all of us today. Jesus, a picture him here in the room today and say, hey, listen, follow me. This is really step three of the recovery process that we've been working through. Step three words itself like this. So if you were to attend Celebrate Recovery, you work through the steps. Uh, same as very similar to the model of like an AA or, or Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and so step three is this, kind of on, an acron on the acronym of with recovery, C, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. 
So step three is where you say, listen, I'm going to make a conscious choice to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. In essence, this is what Matthew did. When Jesus says, follow me, what did Matthew do? He says, I'm all in. I'm going to give myself to Christ's will, Christ's care, and Christ's control. I will follow you. And he goes and throws a party, invites all his friends to come and meet this Jesus. So that's really what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk this morning about consciously choosing to commit all my life and will. In other words, we're going to talk about learning to respond to Jesus, kind of his thing, say, hey, follow me, be my disciple. Now, just a quick review. Step two uh, was last week, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover, which again... Step one, which was right above it there, realize I'm not God, admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things, and my life is unmanageable. I mean, I can't fix this thing, I can't can't make this better, I can go about trying, I might even get some good stuff done, but at the end of the day, I am broken, I'm not God, I can't control my life. Now, let's step into this third step, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Here's what I find I want to share with you my own heart in this. Over the years of my faith journey, I look at guys like Matthew. Maybe consider one of his buddies, Peter. Peter, when he meets Jesus, he's fishing. And it says he leaves everything and follows Jesus. I look at these guys in Scripture and I think, man, that is perfect faith. That is something to admire. That is something. Man, they gave it all up. But how does it work for me? (laughs) What does it look like? What does it really look like in my life? How do I give it all up? What is that perfect faith? And I've begun to realize over the years that this view of giving it all up, this view of a perfect faith that doesn't wrestle and struggle, actually works against true faith. Because true faith has at the very core a great amount of doubt, struggle, and heartache. And when we consider Matthew, and we, we miss this, we walk right by it, and I think, man, oh my goodness, he gave it all up. He gave it all up. I've got to give it all up. And, and what ends up happening is it disconnects for us because I'm like, well, I don't know what that looks like. And we almost disconnect it from our real life. And then what I find happens is people generally kind of have their church world where they come here and they, 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 their hearts are like, I want to be all in. And then they get into Monday morning. They're like, well, my heart's not all in. If it were, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done that. Why did that happen? And we almost then begin to disconnect. And I believe this view of this perfect faith actually hurts us. So my heart this morning is to step in and to help us commit. I want to show you the doubt and the brokenness and the disobedience that can exist within true faith. To start, let me start with this story. Um, This guy shows up to Jesus, Mark chapter 9, verse 23, and he says, he, he basically requests for his son to be healed. Now, so here's, here's his, he makes this request, and Jesus responds to his request. So it basically says, Jesus, the verse before, Jesus, if you can heal my son, please do it. Jesus says back to him, it's almost like this, this almost like a rebuke. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asks. What do you mean, if? He keys in on the if. What do you mean, if? I mean, do, do you really believe? Because Jesus asks, Jesus adds, anything is possible if a person believes. Now, here's a story. So the, the story tells of a, of a father who loves his son. Try and put yourself in his shoe. We don't know how old his son is. It, the scriptures don't say. But it, it, picture someone who's maybe, I, I picture elementary age. And picture a son, a child that you care for, that you love, that you've watched grieve and hurt. And, and the brokenness in your family is he doesn't talk, the scriptures say. He's never really spoken. 
Not only does he not speak, but he, he often clenches his teeth. And I picture almost like a seizure of some kind. He, he clenches his teeth, he foams at the mouth, and his body actually, literally, the scriptures say, seizes up and he throws himself on the ground. Now picture yourself as a father of this child for years and years and you're, you're, you, you ache and you hurt and you go to bed at night weeping and crying and you, and you cry out to this God that you believe is there as, as a faithful Jewish person and you're like, man, God, heal my son and, and there's all this brokenness and all this heartache and, and so he's coming with these hopes but what do we do with our hopes at times? We kind of hold back because I don't want to get hurt too deeply so if I put it all into this, man, I, so, he, so he says, Jesus, if you can, now I love his response. My favorite verses in the Bible. If you've never seen this, mark this one in your Bible. This is one to highlight. Matter of fact, tear this page out of your Bible and stick it in your mirror in the morning. This is a beautiful verse. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my... I love this. This is faith. It says, I believe, I believe. I believe, Jesus, I believe. But you know what? I got some unbelief in here too. But because I'm going to step towards you, help me with that. Now here's the cool thing. You may push in on this and say, well, Adam, that's one little verse in the Bible. Well, I want to show you this morning, what I'd like to do with us is walk through a story in the scriptures. I want to show you a man in the Bible who is often described as kind of the benchmark of faith. This guy's name is Abraham, and he's written about in James, which is Jesus' half-brother. And James uses him as kind of like the example of a faith that works. He says, man, this guy was justified by his faith. He's used by a writer named Paul, who's one of the strongest church planners of the, of the early church. And he says, listen, Paul says, listen, this Abraham, all through the, all through the epistle, or his letter to a church in Galatians, he says, this guy is the epitome of faith. He set the example for us. And he paints this contrast between the faith that Abraham has and the faith that we can have in Jesus Christ. This guy is established in scriptures as a hallmark giant of faith. As a matter of fact, let me, let me show you the, one of the writers in Hebrews just says it this way. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. Now catch this. See what he's saying? So we're going to look at this story in a minute. I'm going to get into the details of the story. But God calls him to go somewhere. The scriptures say he went by faith. When he got there, he lived by what? Faith. Keep this in mind. Do not lose this because we're going to read some stuff in a minute. You're going to be like, faith? Faith? This dude has some issues. But right now, just look what the scriptures say. So he, he went by faith. He lived there by faith. Then it gives this, this kind of clarifier. He was like a foreigner living in tents. So he never really settled in. He never really built a home. He never really, I mean, he was always moving. He never really had a place to call home. And so did, and then his, his children and their children, and so did Isaac, Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So here's a guy who repeatedly in, in, our, in our later part of our scriptures, the scriptures set out as an example for us of faith. So let's go back to his story. And I think you're going to be surprised at what you see. There's a lot of brokenness in this faith. And I think it, as we can wrestle with this, I think it helps us say, okay, okay, I can commit. I can be all in 
Uh, I can do this. I don't need to wait till I'm perfect. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, page 11. This is an easy one to find. Page 11 there in the Bibles in the seats in front of you. Which I would say if you're using that Bible, maybe it's because you don't have a Bible at home, take that one home and let that be your your Bible. I encourage you to, to do that and maybe even read it this week. Genesis chapter 12. This is the story that Hebrews 11 speaks of. Start with verse 1. Then the Lord had said to Abram, his name's not Abraham yet, just for those of you who may not be familiar with this story, kind of bring us all up to speed. His name is Abram. His, la- his name will later get changed to what we see in the New Testament, the, the, early, the, the later parts of our scripture, is Abraham. So the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Pause right there. See what he's being asked to do. Put yourself in this position. You've grown up. You've got a strong family. It's a, it's a well-known family. It's a wealthy family. You, you know your neighbors. You, you've settled in. You're, you're comfortable. You're in a routine of life. And, and look at what God's asking. I want you to pick up and leave your family. And I want you to go somewhere. And so continue, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So there's this promise, this, I'm going to go, this is the kind of the starting of what we understand to be the nation of Israel. Abraham's kind of the father of those, of the Jewish people. He's saying, hey, I want you to step out, and the purpose of this nation is to bring blessing to all nations. And I'm going to do this through you, Abraham. And I'm, I want you to go. You've got to leave everything behind. I want you to step out. I want you to do this, and I'll lead you, and I'll show you where to go. Now look at verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. If you're one that marks in your Bible, that's a good verse to underline. Abram had departed as the Lord had instructed. So he steps out. He says, okay, I'm in. I'm all in, God. I'm going to go do this thing. Now look at the rest of the verse. We miss this. We don't underline this part. And Lot went with him. Now, that doesn't jump out at us. Maybe to some of you it does. But why should it jump out at us? Continue reading. Look at the rest of the verse. Abraham was was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew. Who's Lot? What was he told to do? Take who with you? Or I should say this way, who are you to leave behind? What does it, go back to verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your who? I love this verse. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. What? That's a violation of the command God gave him. And when we read Hebrews 11, this is the faith that it says this is hallmark faith. I continue reading. So Abram was 75 years old when he left here, and he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. He headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Now, there's another one. Underline that. He appeared to him. 
After that, Abram traveled south and set camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. That's not artificial intelligence. That's an actual town. There he, built another, there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. So it's interesting to me, he steps out. He doesn't fully obey God, but he steps out. Now, I, I also want to, though, challenge us, because I, I don't want you to get the wrong messages. I need to challenge us, too. Look at this beautiful picture. This is what Hebrews 11 described. Remember that Hebrews 11 said he is a foreigner, and he never really sets up. Here it is. He's traveling. He's living in tents. He's building an altar. So he's, he's traveling and moving around, and he's, and he's worshiping God in the process. You know, I want to allow his faith to challenge. I don't just want to talk about the mess. I want to talk about the beauty of this faith, too. We'll get into more of the mess here in a little bit. But let me talk about the beauty of this faith. And one of the things I think that challenges me a lot is I don't know if I'm a foreigner in this land. I spend so much of my time, my days, my energies, my, my, the things that consume me trying to work towards what? I think of this verse, uh, Jesus speaks this. This verse comes right after Jesus says, pick up your cross. I want you to daily die to, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Be all in, in other words. Have the faith that you're all in. And then he says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? One of the examples I think Abraham sets for us is Abraham was not losing his soul. He was in. He was not living to build kingdoms here in this earth. Remember Hebrews 11 says, what was he focused on? An eternal city that wasn't here. You know, where, what kind of kingdom are you building? I'd be so bold as to challenge that. What do you think about your energies throughout the day? Where are they going to and why are they going there? I mean, I, we, we, we work hard to buy and sell houses. We work hard to accumulate stuff, to remodel those houses. We work hard to, to buy our cars, to buy our devices, to buy our clothes, to outfit ourselves, to, to take care of ourselves. To, uh, we, we get our kids involved in sports. We, we encourage our kids to get to college. We encourage our kids to get a great job. We ourselves are constantly looking for promotion, looking to move up, looking to make more money, looking to, and I just say, for what end? None of it's wrong within itself. But I wonder how much of it is building a kingdom for ourselves here and now versus how much of it is designed to be something far bigger and far more eternal. And I think as Jesus says to us, hey, listen, you got to die. You got to die to yourself. I think Abram got this, and he, he, doesn't, he isn't building these permanent homes. He's following God. He's worshiping God. He's stepping in. And in the end, you have your soul, and your soul is worth far more than anything you can attain here in this earth. Now that's the beauty of the faith. Now look at, there's some more mess that comes. Look at verse uh, 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. Now this next word is interesting. Forcing, this is an interesting word, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. May I just say this? Please understand this. Trials often follow triumphs. If you don't understand this, this is something I think we've got to instill in our hearts. Abram's on cloud nine. I mean, he, he is, have you ever had those moments when you have spiritual victory? 
You step out to do something you believe God called you to do. It's a big risk. You step out. It goes well. It works. And you're worshiping God and you're up on the mountaintop. It is awesome. Oftentimes what comes following those triumphs is incredible tragedy or trials. So what we have here is this this famine breaks out. Now what I find interesting, this word forcing. See in verse 10? The New Living used the word forcing. It forced Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, what I find interesting is when he left his homeland, why did he leave his homeland? Why, tell me, why did he leave his homeland? God told him to. When you read this, we wish read right through this. Well, yeah, there's famine, of course. He, he, he left. Did God tell him to go to Egypt? Did he ever consult God? Did he ever say, God, we got a famine here. It's a mess. What do I do? He sees it as though, I love the word for it. It's like I have no option. I've got to go. You know, this is, I don't want to, this isn't a direct application of this verse, but I want to pull this in since we're talking about recovery. This is a huge principle of recovery. Quit on a good day, not a bad day. What I find happen is when the famine of life hits, you have a huge fight with your spouse, Maybe you get fired from work. Um, you, you, whatever that, f- something happens in your life and it's pulling you in and it's sucking you in. And, and we sit there in those moments and woe is us, woe is me. I'm now forced to make a decision and we often make a decision. And can I tell you, often when we're making our decisions on a bad day, they're bad decisions. When you feel forced, when you feel like, I've got to do, oh, he's such a jerk, I've got to leave. My counsel to you would be is take a breath, consult your Savior, listen to him, go to bed, get a good night's sleep, wake up on a new morning, have a fresh perspective, make decisions on good days, not bad days. It's not a direct application of this verse, but I think it's, it's close enough to say, Abram did not consult God and God did not tell him to go. He feels forced because I've got to go feed these people who are relying on me. Now, I'll continue. He's going to make a mess of this thing. Look at verse 11. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Now, wives in the room. <laughs> what would you think of your husband if he pulled one like that? I mean, this is a mess. I mean, this is part of the problem when you outkick your coverage, husbands. When you marry someone that's just far better looking than you, this is, you got you to live a little insecurity going on. So he's, he's wrestling and he says, man, so this, this woman is apparently supermodel level. I mean, she's beautiful. And so he says, okay, when we get there, I, I need to, I, this fear sets in. And one of the things I've learned, fear <laughs> destroys faith in a hurry. When you allow fear to reign in your heart, forget your commitment to God. It will, it will suck you in. Now, what I find most interesting about this, turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. We read this and we think, man, Abraham was really pushed to make this decision here in the moment. I want to show you something. As I read this this week, 
He does this multiple times. But it's when he does it a second time with a king named Abimelech. And Abimelech discovers, hey, dude, she was your wife. And now there's a mess in my household because I took your wife as my wife. And so Abram's going to defend himself. And look what he says in chapter 20, verse 11. Abram replied, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And (laughs) here's a half-truth. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father but different mothers. And I married her. So he's almost like justifying it. When God called me, look at this verse. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. So when did Abram conceive of the idea to turn this truth into a lie and tell people that she is in fact his sister? Did it happen when they went to Egypt? When did it happen? Don't miss this. It happened when they were still at home in his father's land. It happened when God said, Abram, I want you to go. And it happens then when we read, go back to chapter 12, so verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. He departs in faith. The scriptures say what he did was faith, but in his heart, he had a lie. He had fear. He has all this faith inside of him. We're going to step out and do this big thing, God. I'm all in, but you know what? I've got this fear in here too. In other words, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's got fear, and this is a mess. But the scriptures, don't miss this. The scriptures in Hebrews 11 say what he did was faith because he truly stepped out. Now, along the way, I think he learns. I think he grows. I think he forms, but it's ultimately, I believe Help my unbelief. So when God calls you to commit, when God calls you to be all in, one of the things that I've learned in my journey is oftentimes what holds me back is this feeling of inadequacy, this feeling of I'm not sure what it looks like. I don't know if I can give it all. I'm not sure. God, my heart is pounding for you. I want to be in, but I got all this stuff over here. What do I do with Step into it and trust God. Commit is what I would say. Don't let a perfect image of faith hold you back from commitment. Don't let a perfect image of faith hold you back from life with Jesus. Step in, commit. Start what you know today. What is God asking you to commit to? Start today with that thing. Heard this story. Maybe maybe some of you have heard this before. Picture this guy maybe playing Pokemon Go or looking on his cell phone, um, and he, and he walks off a cliff, right? I know Pokemon Go is not quite as big as it was, but so he's walking along, he's looking, all of a sudden, whoop, there he goes. I mean, he's hanging on for dear life. And so he looks down the cliff, and he's like, man, it's a long way down. If I let go, I am gone. He looks up, and he's like, I'll never make it. I don't know how to get back up there. So he begins to holler, and he's hollering, he's hollering. He's like, oh, is there anyone up there? And he's hollering, he's hollering, he's hollering. Who, anyone there? I am stuck. He finally hears a voice. I'm here. Whoa, who, who's there? And the guy says, it's God. God? As in like God of, God of the universe? God, God, like all powerful? God? Yeah. Oh, God, can you help me? Yeah, I'll help you. God, God please help me. Okay, let go. Let, let, God, let go? Yeah, 
it. Let go. God, like, like, you know, it's a long way down. And I'm like, I'm like barely, had, let go. God says, yeah, let go. Who are you again? I'm God, all powerful, almighty. Let go. Let go. So a guy pauses and thinks a while. Hello, is there anyone else up there that can help me? You're in a mess. What is God telling you to do in the mess? Listen to his voice. There's fear in there. I mean, you open your hands up and you're going to long fall. But he's told you to open your hands. Don't let the mess dominate the faith that you have. Step into it. Abram had all kinds of fears when he left. He was loaded with fear to the point where he says, okay, you're going to tell him that you're my sister because I don't want to die. Open your hands and let go. Let me finish the story with you. Um, Again, as as we finish the story, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Here's the beauty of this story. I want to show you this result of this. (laughs) God works all things together. Remember he said, I'm going to make you a great nation? Remember he told him that? <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor when you read the rest of the story. Okay, you get, don't, some of you just look like you're, okay, loosen up a little. This, this, is, this is a funny story here, the rest of this. It's truly, this is good. Ready? Verse 14. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, excuse me, their king, and Sarah was taken into his palace. The Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. So he's like, man, here it is. She's worth it. You can have all this stuff. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. (laughs) Notice Abram doesn't get any plagues. He's the one that told a lie. He's the one that deceived the poor guy. This guy didn't know. I mean, he's just kind of stepping in, and he pays for it. (laughs) Verse 18, so Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. So he kicks her out. You take her. I don't want her. Take her and get her out of here. Verse 20, Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his what? (laughs) Every time I read that, I'm like, are you kidding me? How did Abraham get all his wealth? Not all of it, but a lot of it. By lying. So God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abram goes and makes a mess. He gets lots of stuff because of it, and God sends him away with it. I love it. You talk about messy faith. It doesn't get much messier than that. (laughs) You know, I think this, in a way, is God answering Abram's prayer. I believe, he doesn't directly say it, but God knows Abram's fearful. God knows. Abram, I'm going to help your unbelief. I'm going to show you. You can trust me. So often we allow our unbelief, our pride, our fear, our shame, our worry, our doubt to hold us back from ever committing. It gets messy, yet you can trust God. Don't trust your perfection. Don't trust your circumstances. Trust God. Let me read you this verse. Just listen to it. If you want to read it this week, it's found in Romans chapter 8. Just listen to this. 
Verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So you step in and you commit. You love God, right? You step in and you commit. And God's promises to you is he's going to cause everything in your life to work together for good, including, I might add, the sin of your life. It's going to somehow all pan out. The chapter goes on, and the letter that's being written to this church in Rome goes on, and and verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or or, or persecuted or hungry or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Abram stepped out in love for his God. He had all kinds of fear in his heart. Chapter 20 makes it plainly clear. But that fear doesn't separate you. God's simply saying, do you love me? Can you look into my eyes as Matthew did? Though you're messed up and have issues and feel unworthy and feels an outcast and full of shame, can you see Jesus looking at you and simply saying, follow me and be my disciple? Follow me. Jesus isn't saying, go get cleaned up. Jesus isn't saying, go get perfect. Jesus isn't saying, like he would have to Abraham, hey, go take care of your fear first. He didn't say any of that. He looks at you in the eyes and he says, what? Follow me. Follow me. With your fear, your doubt, your mess, and all, come follow me. Commit to me. Love me. Step in. Oh, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a ride. You're a mess. I promise. God sees more of a mess in you than you see in you. Those of you who are really doubting yourself, God knows. He's like, yeah, you have a reason to doubt. Let me tell you, I'll show you five other things that we're going to learn over the years that you don't even know about right now. But he simply says, follow me. Not get cleaned up, not get perfect. It's an invite to those that are not cleaned up and not perfect. In other words, what is God calling you to do today? And he looks at you as the what of that dad. If? Is it really if? I challenge you, is this your response? I believe help my unbelief. So I want to close in prayer. I want to ask him to help your unbelief. To help the thing. So as I pray, here's what I'd ask from you. What is the thing? What is the doubt? What is the fear? So, so think in your mind, what is the thing God's called you to? What is the thing you know you need to give up? What is the thing that you know that has a hold of your heart? What is the thing that's causing you to step all in? Grab hold of it. Like Abram would have had his fear when he left his homeland. Grab hold of that thing, and I'm I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to visit you in that place. And I'm going to ask that that thing doesn't keep you from answering and stepping into this, where you can just step in and say, okay, God, I'm going to follow. I believe, now help my unbelief. God, look out in this room with a lot of eyes looking back, and I know full well. There's a lot of fear and shame and doubt 
in this room. There's a lot of heartache. There's pain. There's hurts and habits. God, there's things that have them hung up. Maybe it's they're wrestling with a skeptical thought towards you, a lack of trust. Maybe it's, maybe it's they really, really want something in this life that they feel like if they're going to follow you, they're not going to get. Maybe they're afraid of, may I think of that dad who came to you in Mark 9, and they just, they're afraid to put it all in because they're afraid of being let down. They've been let down so many times. God, when you called Abram, he had so much fear in his heart. He was afraid of his life. He was afraid of what the future holds. He, but he followed. And the scriptures say it's faith. God, so my prayer right now for every one of us in this room that we would hear your voice, be able to look into your eyes, and we would follow. We would step in and commit. We would follow you. Help us not to get hung up on all the, all the other stuff. Help us to trust you, even in the mess, to trust you that you're going to help wrestle with the unbelief that we have in our heart. None of us are perfect. God, I finally I close in praying. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Because I was studying this week in Ephesians 1, it just, God, in you, in Jesus, your son, you look at us as though we are perfect. God, would you let us feel and know that? That in Jesus, those of us that are in Jesus, nothing, nothing, not even our fears and our doubts can separate us from you. We get our eyes off our brokenness and see the beauty of who you are. And God, when we see you for who you are and we look into your eyes and we see this all-perfect, all-powerful, almighty God looking at us and saying, follow me. How humbling that is. God, to feel the warmth and the love, to feel someone who believes in us, who, who we look into your eyes and know that we matter. And you got a plan for our lives, a purpose. And so, God, those in this room that would not know what I'm referring to in Jesus, um, God, I pray that they would reach out and they'd ask the people around them. Say, I'm not sure I'm in Jesus. I'm not sure what that means. I'm, I'm not really sure that, that God looks at me as perfect because I'm not sure I believe in Jesus. God, I just ask that even as this service wraps up, there'd be some rich conversation that takes place and some people exploring what it is to step in and follow you. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.